0: Join us at the Leaders Conference, hosted by MGMA, powered by you, where top minds gather to accelerate the success of ambulatory care and medical practices. Join us in Nashville, October 22nd through the 25th. Register today at mgma.com leaders. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor of MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. Today, we welcome Mary Hamill to the show. Mary is the System Point of Care Manager at UC Health in Colorado. And Mary's here to talk about an important topic, driving test standardization that meets provider and patient expectations, one system's journey. Mary, welcome to the MGMA podcast. Thank you. Yeah. So first, uh, I know perhaps for our Colorado listeners, they may know a little bit more about UC Health, but um, just for those that are around the country, uh, tell us a little bit about UC Health, uh, the size and scope of the system, and what your focus is there.
1: Okay. Well, we are a 12 hospital system. Uh, We've got 11 freestanding EDs. We have over 20 urgent cares. Um, And we have over 100 primary and specialty care clinics. These um, are all along the front range. So for the Southern region, from Colorado Springs, basically all the way up to Wyoming. Um, As far as focus, our laboratories each have, each laboratory discipline is guided by our best practice teams. um, And Point of Care has its own team. Um, For our best practice team for Point of Care, it specifically has a multidisciplinary focus. Um, so that all of our point of care decisions are run through appropriate nursing leadership and stakeholders, um, which is really important to us so that we have buy-in from the entire system.
0: Okay. So you are joining us for the first time on the MGMA podcast. So we're glad to have you here and we'd love to know a little bit more about your healthcare, healthcare journey. So just tell us about that. What Got you interested in healthcare in the first place, and what's that journey looked like?
1: Well, I actually did start off as an EKG tech in an emergency room, and I quickly realized that patient care, direct patient care, was not for me. Um, so I became a laboratory scientist in 2004, and I started my journey in microbiology, and molecular microbiology. Um, sometime, Some years later, I had the opportunity to move into point of care. Um, As a specialist for another healthcare system. And then in 2017, I came to UC Health as a manager. Um, I've recently kind of moved beyond my um, career focus to include participation in professional learning um, and teaching. And I've recently been added to the CLSI expert panel for point of care testing this year, um, as well as helped update the ASCLS position paper on point of care testing.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now. We're going to be talking a lot today about test standardization. That has really come to the forefront in this whole COVID 19 and post pandemic era that we've been experiencing, how important that is. Um, So, uh, you are going to be presenting on this topic uh, later uh, this year for MGMA's audience. We're excited about that. Uh, And I'll be able to provide uh, direct links to to that uh, presentation if people want to sign up and register for that. Um, so that's exciting as well. But um, you were sharing some information with me uh, at UC Health. You've undergone changes in your test practices. So share with us your thoughts on sound and successful standardized testing. What got y'all uh, focusing on this in the first place? Where did you kind of notice maybe some gaps uh, where you could tighten that up and make it more efficient. Tell us all about that.
1: Well, I think it really first begins with a vision or a need from that organization. And in our case, both of these things happened at the same time, really. I had been asked in late 2019 to develop a point of care program for our clinic testing um, that had previously not had any significant laboratory support. Um, This was for just over 130 different locations. Just as soon as I had developed a program for them and I had begun evaluating test platforms for them, um, COVID hit. So I took this opportunity to really get the testing in the clinics where it needed to be and where I wanted it to be. So historically, point of care has been used as sort of a band aid, if you will, um, to get quick and easy testing done, but it was usually regarded as not as good as labs. And for good reason. You know, we haven't always had the best tests available or had the best laboratory oversight or even understanding of how to create that proper oversight, even in a hospital setting, much less a clinic setting. But we have both accurate testing available and ample guidance now on how to oversee point of care testing. And this is the level that I wanted to bring our system up to um, when I was asked to create this program.
0: Okay. Let's take a deeper dive into that then. What did you? Notice, what did you see in those processes before you made this adoption? What did it look like? Um, We'd love to hear more about that.
1: So when I first started looking at all the clinics and gathering the information, uh, I found that we were using anywhere between five to eight different vendors for every test <laughs> that we Whoa. were doing. Uh, right. Specifically for respiratory and strep testing, we had everything from antigen testing all the way to PCR. We were not leveraging opportunities for systemized vendor contracts, so we were wasting a lot of money. And we had operating procedures being used that were not specific to the actual test being done. In some locations, they were even using package inserts that were old and out of date. So um, with other point of care testing, like urine pregs, monos, hemoglobin A1C, for example, You know, a simple evaluation of quality got us to where we needed to be in terms of decision making, like what tests we were going to use. And then we would follow it up with a cost comparison and then look at the ease of use for nursing staff. But with respiratory testing, especially during COVID, it took much more of an in-depth evaluation.
0: Okay. Um, When you started measuring this, studying to see where the inefficiencies were, um, were there certain KPIs you were pointing to?
1: Yes. Well, you know, quality is first always on my list. Um, if as a laboratory I'm going to give you a lab test or I suggest a specific one to you as a subject matter expert, I am going to make sure that that one is trustworthy. Um, you're going to get the one that the clinician can trust so that they don't say, well, let's send this to lab just to be sure or let's get that culture and I'll let you know later if we're on the right track. Um we didn't this was a waste of time for our clinicians and we didn't want to do this for them. Um, it's also a waste of the patient's time and of healthcare dollars. So if you should send that lab, send that test to the lab the first time, then there's no point in wasting it on a point of care test. Um, and there are tests that fall in that category. But if you can run the same test in the point of care setting as you would in a laboratory setting and have it be cost effective, fast, and accurate, why wouldn't you? So those are the measures that we looked at, quality first, cost second, and then ease of use. And would the clinic staff be able to reproduce the same accurate test result at the bedside as in the laboratory?
0: Mm -hmm. Were you getting feedback as well from the patients themselves, like what that was like? or, Or did they notice at all, whether it's point of care or they're just getting tests done in that kind of hodgepodge situation that you had previously?
1: Previous to COVID, and, and again, I wasn't really involved in the clinics a, a ton before mm-hmm. COVID, um, but during COVID, patients absolutely knew what they wanted, or they thought they did, according to all the media, and they were like, are like, right. are you using the PCR test, or are right. you using the antigen test? They became much more well-versed consumers in terms of point-of-care testing than I had ever previously seen in my career, for sure.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, I have my MD from Google University, so it's for me doing a lot of searches, and you know that's how consumers are now. They get out there and they start Googling things, and they show up at the doctor's office thinking they uh, can diagnose themselves. So, you know, it's uh, easier said than done. So, um, you shared some notes with me earlier, and I saw something really interesting. One of the questions that you were asking was is our current testing good enough? And I would love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah, so our first step with respiratory testing was to start comparing the platforms to our clinical lab. With COVID, getting a mostly accurate result like we used to do with flu and RSV was not good enough for our hospital or laboratory and medical staff administration. So we specifically compared the isothermal PCR Um, which was probably the best test that we were doing prior prior to COVID. We compared that platform to the Cepheid reverse transcriptase PCR and found that the isothermal PCR had missed at least 20% of the positives that the Cepheid and Roche platforms um, that we were using in the hospital lab had reported. My administration then made it clear that they wanted us to use uh, the Cepheid PCR if we were going to do it point of care. And then along with that, they told me based on all of their reviews of antigen to PCR comparisons, they wanted me to get rid of antigen testing as well for strep, which caused a mini heart attack at first. Um, And they wanted to move that to PCR so that we had a more unified approach. You know, the labs were already in the process of moving to 100 percent strep PCR there and getting rid of pharyngitis screening cultures. So it, we felt like it was a really unique opportunity for us to do the same in the point of care space so that our patients had the exact same standard of care, no matter where they showed up in our system. Um, this was really when my vision of elevating point of care testing really started to take, started taking shape.
0: Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Now, one of the other things I saw in your notes you shared with me is how are we going to handle billing? And everybody that works at a medical practice <laughs> knows that is of uh, the most important. You know, you got to keep the lights on. How are we going to bill this stuff? How are we going to get paid? So talk about that. What was the process in examining that whole billing process and how has it uh, come to fruition for you?
1: Well, it's kind of both billing and cost. You know, okay. um, billing during COVID was sort of taken care of. I mean, the government was Reimbursing a, a certain amount of COVID testing, but we wanted to look beyond that, of course. And right off the bat, we had several advocates for what this was gonna cost the patient because it was PCR. And I'll have to be honest, these concerns really surrounded strep, not respiratory testing. Um, after COVID, the need to have accurate testing for the both or COVID, flu, and RSV. Was really undisputed. And after looking at the billing for several months after, the payers were not denying claims and there really wasn't an issue with this. But boy, lots of questions about strep. Um, I think the first thing was education about how much cultures cost. I didn't even realize how much they cost, Um, not just to our patient, but in healthcare dollars, tech time working up the culture, and then antibiotic stewardship. Our culture started at $150 and that didn't even include the workup. That was before the workup was done. Um, And then there was the tendency to order the antigen test, get a negative, send for culture, give antibiotics anyway, or not give the antibiotics, and then the culture comes back positive later, and now the patient could have started antibiotics 24 hours earlier. It wasn't a great process, um, but that is what we had, and we accepted it because it was the best we could do at the time. Um, But that's not the case anymore. We can do better for our patients. And so I've been asked about the cost of not keeping patients longer in the clinic um, in order to get the strep result back because it takes longer than the antigen. We have not found that to be the case at all. In most instances, just because you can get a strep result back in five minutes does not equate to getting the patient out of the clinic any faster. We've pulled door to discharge times and there is no change. So in terms of cost, when you add up all the costs The unseen cost that we weren't really looking at before, it didn't cost more really to take care of that patient the first time and get the result, the right result the first time.
0: Okay. All right. Well, another important question is uh, the rollout of a project and a process like this. So I know with UC Health, it's a major system, health system here that you're dealing with. You had to roll it out there, but just give us an idea then uh, what your time frame is? How do you make decisions on who the stakeholders are? What did that process look like?
1: Well, keep in mind we were doing this during COVID, and I think that had I had a little bit more time to prepare and not been told that I had to do it yesterday, my <laughs> process may have looked a little bit different. Um, but IT having a really strong IT team was crucial to my rollout here at UC Health, and I will thank them every day for that. But I also have a clinic laboratory team that was responsible for the rollout. So we had implemented 10 analyzers every three weeks until we got to 88. And that was the number of analyzers that we started with. Uh, Prior to each wave of the three weeks, we worked closely with IT facilities and clinic managers to make sure that we had the right information built into our data manager. um, The right data ports were installed and live and that the trainings for the clinics were set up and scheduled. We did week one for delivery and setup. Week two was training. And week three was go live and then set up for the next wave. Okay. Initially, I did hold a project implementation meeting where we worked together as a multidisciplinary team to make sure that we had all the aspects covered. But after the first few meetings and the first wave, everything fell into place and it was basically rinse and repeat until we finished rolling out 88 analyzers. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, that is awesome. Well, thank you. Um, So I have a final question then. What else, what have I not asked you about standardized testing that you'd like to share with us?
1: Well, before we drove this test standardization, knowledge about the testing that the clinics did and the testing that the hospitals did was totally separate. Um, It was costly and it wasn't efficient. Neither side knew what the other side was doing. And we really missed out on hospital pathology involvement in the decision-making Um, At the clinics and the pathologists really had no idea what the clinicians in the outpatient settings were dealing with in terms of what they were trying to do, what type of lab tests they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. Both sides missed out on cost-saving opportunities for vendor standardization, and we were really missing the mark on respiratory surveillance in the outpatient setting. Now we've been able to bring back the best testing to our patients, no matter where they show up in our system, and we're leveraging the cost savings that comes with being a unified system.
0: Okay. Well, Mary, thanks so much for joining us and sharing these thoughts with us today. And we look forward to hearing more from you on this topic in the coming weeks in our upcoming webinar that we've partnered with you on. Thank
1: you so much for having
0: me. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of MGMA's Insights Podcast. Thanks again to Mary Hamill, MLS System Point of Care Manager at UC Health, and thanks for listening to the MGMA Podcast Network. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com membership.